track at the wall. We are tied. Look at this. He's landed for I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Oh, drop with a big leg. Over for the cover. He got it. Unbelievable. He got it! The starter! Mike Tyson in! Austin is the champion! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Now the 2-2. Two -two. Well hit down the left field line. Way back and... Touch the ball, Drew! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life! Connection Podcast Network listeners, welcome to WWE War Wrestling Above Replacement. I am JT, and joining me as always is my buddy Marcus. Marcus, how are you? Uh, doing great, JT. Happy to be here. Happy to be talking some 2004 WWE with you. A uh, misremembered period of time, I believe. I I agree. Uh, I, I think it's... I'm, I'm interested to see how much above replacement level the bulk of the season is, uh, especially into 04. But I feel like it's an era maybe more remi remembered for its TV, uh, mm. at least like fondly for Raw specifically. Uh, but also kind of the year, I believe, like the depth really took a hit in the company. We've talked about it a bit. We'll get into it more, I'm sure, tonight. Uh, as like the big stars start to whittle off a little bit, the single brand shows start to really expose some of the soft roster depth that was going on within the company that affected its ability to put on really thick pay-per-views yeah it's very very top heavy um but as the season's gone along i think we've seen a couple people uh take that opportunity reach for the brass ring all the uh, cliches that they like to throw out there but uh I i've enjoyed it so far and i'm looking forward to uh going into the fall portion of our season maybe <laughs> <laughs> fall is, you know, fall is usually the doldrums anyway in WWE historically. Mm -hmm. uh, outside of maybe you occasionally get like the hot Survivor Series, but for the most part, that September to December stretch is is one of the sloggiest uh, of all when it came to WWE television. 
and pay-per-view. And from what I recall, this year was uh, not one that broke that streak. It definitely, uh, you know, takes a twist, takes a turn. But we'll see. We'll see how these things hold up over time. Uh, this is episode 26 today of this podcast. We are, like Marcus mentioned, halfway, about almost halfway now through the 04 or 05 season. Tonight we're going to cover off on a pair of pay-per-views. We're going to cover off Unforgiven, a Raw-only offering. And then No Mercy, a SmackDown-only offering. So a little, little uh, bit of balance here tonight for us one of each show uh if you're new i suggest you pause and go back at least to restart the season so you can see where we're at uh but if not this is a plus minus based system we have a bunch of categories we talk about the good we talk about the bad each of those get a point we net those points out we get our total score and then we rank every pay-per-view in order uh, that we've been talking about so far. So we have one giant master list. Uh, and then we also kind of grade out the seasons. We do some awards at the end of every season. Uh, a season here to us starts with the pay-per-view following WrestleMania. So for 04, it started with Backlash. And we go through Mania the following calendar year. So this season will run from Backlash 04 to WrestleMania 21. And uh, I think that's the bulk of it, Marcus. Do you want to just run through the categories that we talk about real quick? Yeah, real quick, we got nine categories. They are build, commentary, the atmosphere of the event, notable moments and importance, the match grades, card structure, rewatchability, and all-time matches. All right. So, with that said, uh, like Marcus mentioned, match grades is one of the categories. So, we're going to go through the uh, full card. We're going to give our grades. I give my grade. Marcus gives his. We take the average of that match grade. And then we uh, plus minus it off a two and a half. So for both of us, we consider a two and a half to be a replacement level occurrence uh, of a match, right? So if it if it averages out to a three and a half, that match gets a plus one. If it averages out to a one and a half, it gets a minus one. And then on from there up to a five star scale. That's how our plus minus system works as well. Anything we deem to be above average gets a point. Below average loses a point. So it's all about, uh, you know, if you were to have the most average pay-per-view you would imagine everything would pretty much cancel out to like a zero, right? So yep. um, that said, we haven't had too many below zero. And I would say our average, Marcus, has been, uh, let's see, we have how many so far? Call it 50-ish. You know, we're we're looking, if you're in the 10 to 15 point range, that's about our mid-ground. So, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, if you well, get up into the 20s, you start being a pretty good show. Uh, right. From what we've discovered so far. And of course, with our uh, all time matches, I forgot to mention uh, anything that you and uh, myself both decide is uh, 4.25 and above. That is an all time match for us. Mm-hmm. And anything that is a 0.75 and below, that is a negative all time match. Yes. And both of us have to be uh, at that level for it to be count on either one. So. All right, let's get to it. Unforgiven 2004. From Portland, Oregon, the Rose Garden, attendance 10,000, buy rate 239,000. Uh, we have a commentary team of Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler. And, of course, this is a very notable pay-per-view, Marcus, because the first ever pay-per-view in Oregon, in Portland for the WWF. Of course, Oregon, uh, Portland specifically, is a pretty big, you know, historically uh, significant wrestling hotbed. Everyone knows Portland wrestling. If you have any knowledge of the territories, Roddy Piper came through there, of course, and many other stars. So it's it's really well known. Uh, but then there were some issues with the Athletic Commission, mm-hmm. and it ended up taking a while to break through those regulations and be able to crack into the state. 
so this was actually a big deal. They talked about it too. Like they didn't hide the fact that this was a big deal that they were finally able to run a pay-per-view in Portland. Yeah, uh, they made sure to put all the heat <laughs> on the uh, athletic commission. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, it, it, you know, it's unfortunately it's like a forgotten territory just because they um, decided not to go back there and run, uh, you know, for financial reasons. So uh, I'm excited, happy for the people of Portland that uh, they got a, I think what would otherwise be considered kind of a, a leveling off pay-per-view coming right off of SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. But I think this added to the atmosphere, as we'll discuss a little bit later, uh, the fact that they were running a, uh, you know, basically a new market for them. Yes. All right. Well, let's get into the show itself, Marcus. We had a dark match of Maven defeating Rodney Mack. And Ooh. then we uh, had, or I should say, it's probably on Heat, I'm guessing, Heat match. And then we head into our actual pay-per-view proper. We open with Chris Benoit and William Regal defeating Ric Flair and Batista. The match goes 15 minutes. Benoit made Flair submit to the crossface. Uh, it's... You know, it's an interesting turn for Benoit, right? Like, he just made at SummerSlam as world champion. Next month, he's in the opening match in a tag match. But that said, I don't say it in a way that makes it feel like he's a curtain jerker, right? I mean, he's in there with Ric Flair. Uh, he's teaming with Regal. You know, Batista's on the up and up. So, like, this is a pretty big opener. Uh, it felt more star-studded than, like, guy being demoted. And I really like Benoit and Regal as a team. Like, they're super crisp, as you would, ex- you know anticipates they're stiff in the ring they knew how to work each with each other and you can see batista continuing to improve as well working with flair during this time and that shows up quite a bit uh, in here too uh so it's a really clean win i like that they had benoit go over strong uh you know he kind of needed the win there too so i ended up going three and a half like the crowd was pretty into this it, it featured a nonstop pace and it, it made Batista look like a big deal. And it kind of made me wish they kept Benoit and Regal together. Yeah, absolutely. I thought Regal and Benoit would have been an awesome team, especially since the tag division uh, is lacking a bit of depth. I think um, everybody plays their part perfectly well. Like you said, we're seeing the uh, leveling up of Batista. That's always good to see uh, great intensity in this match. Just all, all pros and, and Batista is definitely uh, doing more than just pulling his weight. So I went uh, three and a half right there with you as well, um, which takes us to mm-hmm. our next contest for the women's championship. Trish Stratus successfully defends against Victoria. Uh, I've been a big fan of these two uh, all season, and I'm, I'm looking forward to other seasons where we're going to see them match up. Uh, I like this a lot. Trish retains. Tomko uh, gets involved, of course. Uh, but I went with a 2.75 for this match. Uh, yeah, so for this one, I went with a two and a half. I'm with you. Like, I've enjoyed their work uh, throughout this stretch. Of course, Trish has been uh, great since turning heel. We're both big fans of heel Trish. She's really in a great groove. And Victoria has kind of been quiet since she uh, lost, uh, I should say, uh, well, both won and then lost the women's title. So she's been... Um, you know, a little bit uh, off the radar as Trish has really ascended and taking control of the division. Although the crowd is a little bit quiet. Uh, I feel like Victoria's maybe just not as over as she was earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. I think it's just all about Trish right now with Lita, you know, obviously carrying the other side of things. Tomko helps Trish win, uh, which we'll talk about just in a moment. So, yeah, two and a half for me. Digging Trish as a heel. I just think she needs – I think we probably need to find her uh, – I, I don't know if it's only Lita or if they can find her another kind of top face competitor to really hang with her. Uh, I also just want to call it quickly. If you're into hearing more about Trish during this time period, Aaron George's 
a wrestler that was series airs every the Monday on Hotel Connection. He did an episode breaking down Trish's entire Dodi career that was excellent. Uh, and it was cool, too, because he's, he's come around quite a bit on his opinion of her. Uh, so it was a fun listen to hear him talk about that. So be sure to check it out. Mm-hmm. So this match wraps uh, in, I guess, maybe a classic ECW style, kind of rolls right into our next match. So in this match here, Tomko ends up uh, helping Trish win, like we mentioned. And that brings out Victoria's mystery partner, who is clearly a guy in drag. Uh, And that's been an ongoing angle. I think it was, I don't think it was only on Heat. I think they were doing a Raw too. But this mystery person, it was was clearly, very clearly Stevie Richards. Like it was one of those really midnight rider, worst kept secret kind of things. (laughs) Um, So he comes out and and they, they have an impromptu match. He's in the drag. And Tomko just beats the shit out of him. But it's a slow squash. Like the crowd had been heated up in that opener, kind of was into Trish Victoria, and just goes to sleep here. Like we, this goes six minutes. It's one of the most boring matches I've ever seen. Stevie gets maybe the briefest of flurry of offense, but I mean to have a six and a half minute squash like this was just completely unnecessary. Especially the guy as green as Tomko uh, that wasn't able to carry it. I like Tomko as a stooge. I don't like him working six minute squashes with Stevie Richards on pay per view. Uh, so I actually I went down on this, Marcus. It was I think it's one of the worst matches we've seen in this project so far. Yeah, uh, right there with you. This gets the rare double dud from both of us. Um, there is absolutely no reason this need to go six minutes. If you want to pay off this angle and you have it go down in two minutes, that's fine. But like once you got the reveal of of you know Stevie being the person, uh, you know underneath all the clothes, like take it home. Like that that was the whole point was like to get to the reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, so this served nobody any good. Yep, double done. Um, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, we do get a pretty good match here as Chris Jericho is going to defeat Christian in a ladder match for the vacant Intercontinental title. Of course, Edge having to vacate, uh, being bitten once again. By <laughs> Another injury. Club. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, so this one was just, I mean, what you would expect from these two. Um, I had it right on the borderline of being an all-time match. Um, it was just missing that extra gear, I think, to get there. But uh, this continues the trend of like upper mid-card slash Intercontinental title matches that are just incredibly solid um mm-hmm. so i went with a four for this match yeah no me too it was it was much better than i remembered it for some reason in my mind i remembered it as being kind of disappointing but with edge out of the way they revisit this feud that had felt like it had ended mm-hmm. um you know previously prior to this to feel like they had really kind of wrapped it up when they had the cage match where jericho put the walls at the top of the cage or whatever and christian was out of uh out of commission with the back injury so it kind of makes a surprise return and um ends up getting the shot so again it was it was really really good it was long i mean 22 minutes i I think this is one maybe that could have been even tighter you know if they had um cut it down by six or seven and it really went all out but as is it had a really good build they ate up a lot of card here on a you know we talked about right the lack of depth so it was good to have these guys go through the 20 minute match out we've talked about the anchor matches on raw that they were doing around this time where they kind of put the middle of the show would have like a long six man or a tag or a match like this that would go 15 20 minutes so they keep that principle up here on pay-per-view uh and it's really well done so yeah four stars to me as well and jericho is back as being our intercontinental champion with edge on the shelf all right, we go to our next match, which is Shawn Michaels taking on Kane. So, cut out of nowhere here. Uh, Shawn, the night after Hell in a Cell, 
which we covered back at Bad Blood, came out on Raw to kind of wrap things up with Triple H. But Kane attacked him and gave the old Steve Austin, Brian Pillmanizer uh, to Sean's throat with a chair. So that took him on uh, out of action as well. So Sean was laid up, made his uh, return. And uh, at the show here is Eric Bischoff gave Kane a wedding present for him and Lita. And that was any match he could want to Unforgiven. And uh, Lita came out and announced that uh, she was picking uh, Kane's opponent. It'd be Shawn Michaels. So they have a no DQ match here. And, you know, I, I thought it had some pep. I thought it had a little energy to it. It was sprightly. Uh, Kane <clears throat> can be carried by, by a guy like Shawn. Uh, and other workers, he's you know has the ability, especially during this stretch, to be carry sort with Benoit at Bad Blood as well. Um, so he kind of stays on a bit of a hot streak here, does Kane. I went three and three quarters in this match. I really enjoyed it. The heat was good, and I thought Sean did a really nice job kind of carrying him through it. Yeah, you know, once again, we were aligned. I went with uh, three and three quarters as well. Uh, and Kane is proving to be uh, more than capable of holding up his end of the bargain uh, when he's in there with somebody who can really go. Um, I thought this was an ex- excellent match by Michaels as well. Um, I am, uh, <laughs> I'm definitely not a uh, Shawn Michaels apologist, but um, I think like this is a match I would use as proof is like he can be really, really good when he wants mm-hmm. to be. Um, and this is an example of that, which for me makes it a little bit more frustrating when he's not <laughs> yeah. consistently like this. Um, but uh, as for this match, I really enjoyed it. Um, it really brought the like the the semi-main event style match i thought this card really needed um so yeah two guys uh two you know i guess top guys we want to say two guys that can uh, main event really stepped up and gave a really solid uh, upper mid card match here um which that bleeds into well it doesn't really bleed into but uh it brings us to our next contest of the evening which is for the world tag team titles as la resistance uh, is going to defeat rhino and taijiri uh, I went with a war grade of two for this match. Uh, I think just coming off of the previous match, uh, these two or these two teams kind of just got put in a no-win situation. Uh, went a little bit long uh, just for me for what it needed to be. Um, Rano and Tajiri had a little bit more energy as a team than I remember. Um, mm-hmm. They ended up being a pretty good pairing, but uh, you know, La <laughs> Resistance, uh, they've kind of been a um, and a little bit of a reckoning for me is they are not as good as whatever yeah. I had imagined them being at the time. Um, this is green. They just don't have, it's just not there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. They're not there. And also, even though like Conway had, we talked about him kind of being this OVW legend, like he's still very new for TV. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a difference between being developmentally ready, but you know, being a custom and being a, um uh, an over guy in the main roster and law resistance just is not there yet so uh they're gonna do some cheating they're gonna uh get a flag shot in on rhino to uh, retain the tag team titles here yeah no um agreed it's it's just kind of match us there it's definitely in the um you know piss break spot right before the main event after sean kane they stick it in i guess they could have heated it up by doing putting the titles uh doing the title change to jerry rhino pretty over but mm-hmm. i get why they didn't want to maybe bury it this deep in the card and do the title change um i i'm with you on the uh energy like rhino always has so much energy in the ring he's always constantly moving i always found that impressive and enjoyable about it about him and it's a jerry too so it's actually a pretty cool team especially if you it's kind of a nod to like ecw fans as well right to the bastions of the final days of ecw together here so i thought this could have been um 
the potential to really launch them as like a team. Like we, what else do we have going on right now in the tag division? There's nothing. No. It's yep. barren. So why not let these guys win, give a fun moment and like build them up as a really good team. Like they both can work. It's there. They get over. So I thought this is a bit of a miss by them. It's not like Lover's Stalins was going anywhere. Uh, they just hold the belt tight away until the next team comes along. So two and a quarter for me, but kind of is what it is. Yep. All right, that sets up our main event, and that is Triple H defeating Randy Orton for the World Heavyweight title at 2447. <laughs> so a very long match. And it did have a lot of build. You know, pretty infamously the night after SummerSlam, Orton ended up uh, defending his title in a rematch against Ben Watts. It's a great match. Many feel it's actually better than SummerSlam itself. It's really, really good. Really, really good. <clears throat> after the match, Batista puts Orton on his shoulders. And Triple H kind of gives a thumbs up and you, you know, I knew it was seen wrestling at all, knows what was coming. Batista dropped back uh, and Orton falls to the mat when Triple H gives a thumbs down. They beat the shit out of him, kick him out of evolution uh, for having the balls to win the world title and taking it from Triple H. And uh, from there, it was kind of perfunctory to set up the rest of the match. But, you know, this... I know what they were trying to do, and it reminded me so much of 10 years or 11 years earlier with Luger, where they felt like, you know, the big hit would be at Mania, right? Mm-hmm. They could kind of tease it here, then build that Orton back up and do the big title change of Mania. But the problem is it's a long road there, and you have to really kind of nail the booking to keep him hot enough. And the crowd had already rallied him so much to that big SummerSlam win. So, like, do we really need to end his reign this quickly just to build to another title win. Like we just did it in that role. And I think part of it too, is that Orton just was not ready to be the number one face. I know he's super right. over, but he's still piecing it together. He had just got over as the top heel. If anything, what they should have done is like, I think there's two paths that could have gone right. The one you always hear about is Orton kicks triple H out of evolution and he goes face and Orton takes over as the leader, right? You say, okay, out with the old, I'm the man now, you're done. And even Flair turns on Triple H. He's like, I'm going with the, with the future, right? Uh, so you, Or you kick both of them out and just this Orton with Batista as his muscle. So you could do something like that. Or you could do the Rock 98, right? Where he's so over as a heel, the fans are starting to turn him. You do a, fa- a fake face turn and then double down on the heel turn, right? So maybe Orton kind of turns here. He gets a little you know, bigger than Triple H. Maybe Triple H doesn't make him look like a bum, but somehow he starts to slowly wean off evolution. It seems like he's turning face. And then you have him maybe beat the shit out of Shawn Michaels or something and double down on being a heel. Like like they with The Rock with the Survivor Series. Or do something like that um, where you at least give him more time to continue to grow. Doing this, making him look like a bitch, Triple H kicks him out of the group and takes his belt, was not the way to set him up as being the top face. Um, especially as Batista continues to be cooler too uh, during the stretch as well. So they really don't do any favors for Orton here. The match is just whatever. It's long. It didn't really ever click or get into any kind of gear. And Triple H um, just ends up beating him for the title. You know, it's it's not like Orton even looked – I mean, he looked okay in the match, but it's like he had him beat or anything, you know. Um, you know, there obviously is the usual evolution tomfoolery, but – I don't know. And then you even get like a Hunter Blade job at the end. It was just had no need. <laughs> like it was just like desperate to try and get like a pop. You know what I mean? It was like blood for the sake of blood late in the match. It just it felt like, again, just like we saw earlier with the bad blood match this year. Um, 
Triple H desperate to try and do get some kind of classic over, and this just was not happening. So I went two and a quarter. It was fine as a match, but not the the dramatic title change classic they were hoping for. Yeah, you brought up a ton of good points. I'm just going to touch on a couple of them. Um, you mentioned Orton. Of course, here, the big push. He's only 24 years old, about to be 25. Uh, the youngest World Heavyweight Champion ever, um, at least for WWE. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's really gotten over as a heel, like you said, to the point where he's probably the top heel in the company um, pretty organically. And they panic for no reason, and they switch him face. And it's just such a huge mistake. Not that Orton couldn't have been a good face down the road. Um, you know, but like, why not have, why not keep the group together and have Triple H be the one to take credit for coaching up Randy Orton and, you know, his promo about, you know, squeezing the coal into a diamond (laughs) has come to uh, fruition and have Triple H be the one to like help guide Orton there. And plus you have pretty good roster, um, at least at the top where you can keep Orton as a heel and you can have him run a match with Jericho. You can do a match. Uh, you know, with a returning edge, you can do a match with Shawn Michaels. Like that's three months right there. Um, you know, you can get to Survivor Series and do a big Evolution versus Top Baby Faces match. Um, and then you can start to turn Orton, um, you know, Baby Face as the the crowd is behind him, uh, and you can finally give into that. And then you can build to a big Triple H versus Orton match. Where is it? You know, is it is it Belichick or is it Brady kind of thing? You know, like right, who, who's yeah. really you know the the driving force behind this. Um, so I would have built to it that way. And you still have Batista getting hot at the same time. Uh, you know, you really could have had uh, a hot special you know, nine, ten months of booking there just with Evolution alone. Um, as for the match itself, it didn't do anybody any favors except for Triple H getting him another title win, uh, making him be the despicable heel that he already is. Like Triple H is a made man. Um, he's not going to be hurt or helped um, by a match like this. So uh, I went with a 0. 0.75. Um, again, mechanically, the match is fine. It's not business exposing, but uh, just the booking decision, I thought, uh, and the, the booking of the match itself was um, just such a detriment to Orton. Um, and I think it's, you know, we'll, we'll track it as we go along, but uh, it's going to take quite some time, if my memory serves correct, to get him back to where he was uh, before this whole turn angle happened. And it's uh, another obligatory title run for triple h it just feels like oh there was something good there was something fresh there was something exciting we we better put an end to that and put the title back on triple h well <clears throat> despite your grade i was uh, a bit higher so <clears throat> it is not an all-time bad match even though you tried to get it there but try. uh so we netted our match grades and uh like i said we plus minus it from an, uh, an average match And the grades come out to a 0.25 for match grade war, which is uh, definitely on the lower end of most pay-per-views. So uh, this show is not going to get helped at all by by match grades, that's for sure. Hmm. All right, let's get into our categories, Marcus, uh, beyond the matches. Let's start with build. We'll talk some pluses first. We gave a point for the very good uh, opening video package outlining all of Evolution's explosion and all the build there. A point for the Kane-Lita wedding. The open contract from Bischoff that led to Shawn Michaels' return. That was all woven in nicely. A point for the Trish Tomko Christian tension that's been going on. Uh, a point for Christian's return and attack of Jericho as Edge watched on. Kind of teasing, perhaps a unison between Christian and Edge. Uh, a point for the Orton Evolution beatdown angle. 
which, you know, as, as much as it hurt, it was still well built and they put a lot of time into it. And then a point for finally using Regal again. And as a loyal mm-hmm. face, it's a good role, a nice ally for Benoit. He slowly turned face by, you know, becoming more uh, considerate of Eugene, right? And becoming his friend versus just his pissed off handler. Uh, so that helped a lot. That turned him. And then they finally use him here, him and Benoit as a team. So that's all our pluses. What did you? Have, what do we have on the minus side, Marcus, or build? Uh, we got the rushed evolution implosion uh, completely goes backwards and neuters Orton. So we gave that a minus two. Uh, it's a pretty historic uh, bag fumble, in my opinion, uh, for the company. We have another edge injury. We gave that a minus one. Benoit, Regal, and Evolution all still tying up loose ends with Eugene's. Feel like, you know, they they should have made a uh, went past that and had some personal, you know, some other personal issues by this point. Uh, Stevie Richards dressing in drag, <laughs> Matt Hardy uh, looking like such a loser once again, uh, being cucked on uh, WWE programming just Always. seems to be his bag right now. Um, and the tag team division being an afterthought with no build, just uh, throwing together two teams for the uh, title match. All right, so then that's up to a negative one for build. So it had a lot of positives, but also a lot of negatives that dragged it down. Let's talk commentary. We gave a point for JR being legit pissed about Triple H winning. That was really well done. He was not happy. Uh, also a point for JR's work during the opener. It was a, a mat based wrestling-heavy match, and he really shined during it. A point for King and JR doing a really good job with the Kane Lita storyline and Shawn Michaels' motivation, so just everything that tied to that. Uh, JR mentioned Tomko's wrapped up with Trish. During the latter match, I thought that was pretty good too. Uh, another point uh, for the uh, just really <laughs> their work in the latter match. We get a point for that. Uh, a point for King doing a good job hyping up Batista. You can kind of feel him growing in stature, and King really does a kind of hype man performance. And then a point for Jr. Um, telling the whole you know Kane lead us. Actually, you know what? I'm going to take that out because we already got that one. I think we did it twice in there. Oh. Okay. All right. What are the negatives at? Uh, for our negatives, we have uh, Horny King still popping up on the card. Always. Yeah. Uh, more Eugene comments uh, regarding him being an embarrassment uh, and lines like that. Uh, the commentary did not help the Tomco Richards match, <laughs> even though that was probably beyond saving. Uh, they could have done oh, a bit of a better Lord. job there. Um, the focus of the Trish Victoria match was mostly around, uh, uh, you know, the slut stuff uh, and King really uh, diving deep into that. And uh, King annoying with the, uh, you know, Big Daddy Kane stuff. Uh, talking about Daddy Kane this and Daddy Kane that. We need Big Daddy Kane the rapper more than we need <laughs> Big Daddy Kane the wrestler. Smooth operator, he is. All right, atmosphere. We gave a point for uh, them doing a really good job hyping the Portland stuff to get that first pay-per-view this athletic commission etc mm-hmm. uh, a point for the crowd uh, really added to the brutality inspected of the latter match they were fully invested uh, a point for the pop for benoit they made him feel like a top raw guy uh even though he's in the opener in the tag match the crowd you know treated him like a top dude uh, a point for all the woos all throughout the opener just a fun vibe for the show a point for sean's entrance and for his win he got pops for both of those and then a uh, point for the crowd. Stay with the tag match, the tag title match. Like they're in the dead slot. There's no feud to this. It's just the match and the crowd is all in on it. So kudos to them. Uh, yeah. Something the crowd was not into though, was Tom Richards as they are completely dead oh. for that. Uh, not much of a face pop for Orton given, uh, you know, 
that they're trying to microwave Orton uh, and what they're trying to do there. And then uh, lack of a set look or really like marketing for the event. Uh, there's nothing really that stands out, um, you know, about the show's, uh, you know, promotion or the actual look of this, the show itself. All right, so we give a three for that. Uh, I should dial back quick, too. We give a one for the commentary net. So negative one for build, one for commentary, three for atmosphere. Let's talk notable moments and importance. Not a lot on the show for positives. Uh, we give a point for Jericho with his seventh IC title win. It was a record at the time. A point for Shawn Michaels' return to action after the injury. A point for the official end of the Christian Tristratus partnership that had been going for most of the year and really helped Trish you know, solidify as a heel. A point for Benoit tapping Flair clean in a hard-fought match uh, with him and Regal. Again, sets him up as a good team, potentially, and gives Benoit a strong win after SummerSlam. Uh, a point for Lita's promo to shitting on Kane and begging Sean to destroy her husband. It was really well done as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, looking at the negatives. Triple H ending Orton's reign and momentum. We gave that a minus two. Christian slut-shaming Trish about taking it from behind. Uh, I think this is... The last time these two are on camera together, uh, at least for this little yes. group. So uh, it seems like they're breaking up there. Uh, the crowd the crowd seems out on Victoria, who's uh, been a, pr- a pretty decent player for us this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, her momentum as a top face is quickly fading. And then Tomko choking out Victoria. Uh, a little rough to watch. So uh, that was it for the minuses. All right. So that nets out to a flat zero. Uh, match grades, we said it was a .25. Card structure, we give a point for a pretty well-balanced card. They built to the top matches at the end. Uh, we open with the classic Raw uh, tag was a nice touch as well, so a point for that. A point for Jericho Christian getting a ton of time to build that ladder match and filling you know, the middle there instead of doing what SmackDown has done with a lot of these shows, which is just jam a lot of crap in to fill the card out. Instead, these, they let their two studs work a ladder match to the IC belt and just carry a bunch of time. Yeah, the only real misfire here was the Tomka Richards match length, which just killed any momentum that the show had. You know, I, I know they wanted to do it in the back of the women's match, but they could have just done the tag title match there and then stuck Stevie and Tomko on the death slot and just given them like three minutes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe like Tomko attacks Stevie after the women's match and they fight to the back. And then after, before the main event, they come rumbling back to the ring and they brawl some more, right? Like something like that where it feels a little bit more chaotic and not as long and drawn out. Yep. Uh, Rewatchability, we did not give any points. Uh, For rewatchability, just to clarify quickly, like this is like just fun moments or, um, you know, it's not like matches, right? It's just like things that happen that are worth going back to dial back and watch. Or on the flip side, which Marcus is going to cover, things you never want to watch again. <laughs> so that's the rewatchability <laughs> factor of these uh, these shows. Yeah, uh, we got three of them here. So uh, Hunter ending Orton's run, Kane manhandling Lita, and then uh, Triple H completely obliterating Orton's skull with a uh, gross unprotected chair shot. Yeah, that was brutal. He yeah. smashes shit out of him. Uh, so negative three for uh, rewatchability. We didn't have any uh, all-time matches. We'd have one all-time bad match, which was Tomko and Richards. So minus one there. Nets us out to a score of 1.25. Uh, so a pretty rough uh, showing. As of now, it's the fifth worst show we've covered, Marcus. Oh, uh, wow. So pretty rough. Only below at our WrestleMania 11 with a negative 0.75 not a champions 11 and negative three wrestling classic with negative six and over the limit 11 with negative nine so okay um it's right at the bottom for us here for sure bottom five of the 50th uh or shows that we've watched yeah it, it felt rough but um 
yeah, I, I guess a little surprised to see it just because we did have a really good ladder match in the middle of the card. But uh, yeah, there there was a lot of bad as well. Right. I mean, I will say this. Like, do you feel that watching it, it was like? <sighs> would you feel like it was that bad of a show? Like, it's. Did you feel watching it as one of the five worst shows we've watched? I felt like it was hands down the worst show that we've watched this season, but I right. wouldn't have guessed that it's one of the worst shows we've watched altogether. Um, right. Like may- maybe towards the top of the top 10, but definitely not like firmly in the top five. Right. Bottom. You mean, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. What hurts it really is just it's middling for the most part. And, and like we said, the matches weren't, weren't helping either. So, All right, let's head over to the SmackDown side of the coin. Uh, we're going to go over to No Mercy 2004, uh, taking place on the Continental Airlines Arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey, October 3rd, 2004. 10,000 in attendance, a buy rate of 240,000. Michael Cole and the Taz on commentary. In the shadow of New York City, as uh, yes. they would say now. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, and as, as uh, Mike Adamley would call him, the Taz. <laughs> one of my favorite Adamly deals, but an Adamly original. Yes, yes, yes. We're sure gonna go so nuts uh, when Mike when we cover a Mike Adamly season. I well, we're in, we're kind of in it now on the Place to Be podcast. Like, oh yeah, it's peak Adamly. It's like commentator Adamly plus GM Adamly. Like, it's all of the Adamleys. And it's a uh, I love Raw GM Adamly. Like, there's the one I think what pay per view was where he's like he's announcing the show. And then he's like suddenly in the bathroom. It's like Cena and Mickey James are planning a date. And he's like, yes. comes out of the bathroom. And Cena's like, are you calling the show? <laughs> and he's like, I use the bathroom. And then he like plugs JBL's Mama Joanna. He's like, me and JBL are going out in the town. It's a Mama Joanna. <laughs> oh, it's so good. That would have got once a plus he, two for us. <laughs> well, once he figured out like what he was, it was really good. Like when he tried to, when they tried to be serious play by play guy, but once they leaned into the fact that he's kind of aloof, like he really owned it and God bless him. Like that dude really bought into the whole gimmick. Uh, I know he passed away recently. It was kind of a tragic story, but mm-hmm. um, I always enjoyed him. I mean, I'm a big American gladiators, Mark. So it was, you know, I was on him anyway, but then that uh, I always liked his little run. I think it's, it's one of those things that at the time you shit on, but you look back and it's like our Donovan, like stuff like that, where uh, <laughs> it's fun to watch. It makes it fun. I, th- I yeah. think at the time people were kind of aggravated with it, but looking back, it was worth, worth the time, worth the journey. Absolutely. All right. We have a pre-show match, which is Mark Jinrak defeating Scotty Tuhati. And then that takes us right into the show itself. As we open up with Eddie Guerrero taking on Luke, the rings. And I think it's a fitting comparison. That just like Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero is opening the show now. Like it's, you know, mm. a few weeks apart. These two guys finally reached their height. Uh, both won world titles early in the year, are both opening their show now. But the big difference between him and Benoit is that Benoit was in that red hot tag that felt like a top of the card match. This less so. I mean, Luther Reigns has not been built up much. He's just Kurt Angle's lackey. This felt very much like a. Mr. Perfect being passed from Hulk Hogan to Brutus Beefcake situation. Uh, <laughs> going from Angle to Luther Reigns here. To, didn't feel as much like a Luther Reigns elevation as much as a Eddie, like, we don't have anything for you this month. We're going to stick you here. 
But that said, it's freaking Eddie Guerrero. So it's still a really fun match. I went two and three quarters. You know, Eddie worked hard to carry Luther around. Um, of course, he's too good for this, but that doesn't deter him at all. And the crowd was into it. They were hot. Um, it had a good flow to the match. And just Eddie, Eddie just did a really good job, as you would expect. So two and three quarters for me. Eddie picks up the win and maybe he gets back on track from here. Yeah. And, and definitely like the hijinks from Eddie, uh, you just see like that, the, 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 the performer that he is, uh, you know, stealing the baton from the cop at ringside and all, all those antics. And, um, you know, that's really, I thought was the highlight of the match. And, you know, even on, I wouldn't say this is Eddie Guerrero's worst day, but this is probably towards the low end of an Eddie Guerrero match, uh, just because of what he has to work with. And I I'm right with you. I went with two and three quarters as well. Um, so our next match uh, we have for the WWE Cruiserweight Championship, Nunzio representing the FBI is going to take on the champion, the boss, Spike mm-hmm. Dudley. Um, so a new coat of paint for Spike Dudley. Uh, I dug this match a decent bit, and I went 2.75. Um, I thought it was a really solid match, especially considering that it was heel-heel, and they kind of let the crowd you know, decide who they wanted to cheer. And I thought they got behind the FBI um, considerably more. And I think that's because you had the Dudleys uh, out there and they're, they're very firmly um, established as heels and they kind of have go right, go away heat. Um, so I thought it was a good move to, to change the dynamic up at the mm-hmm. group and to make them kind of the lackeys for spike and just to try something different, um, you know, before they uh, get thrown by the wayside. Um, and that's coming soon. And I think that mm-hmm. this, this gives them like an extra year stay of execution because coming off the awful Undertaker stuff we covered at the bash, um, which was just wretched and they were involved in that. They felt like they were done. And this definitely gives them a little bit of bounce and a little bit freshening up by having spike be the one to, you know, push him around. And, and now he's the badass. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where'd you go on this one? Uh, I went 2.75. Okay. Yeah, me too. It was a, a fun little cruiser match. Nunzio can always go. Another kind of throwback ECW match here. Uh, Spike wins with the help of Bubba. And they kept it tight. You know, it was just under nine minutes. Like, they didn't need much more than that. This is how Spike should retain the title. We don't need him going over strong anyway. Like, him him stealing wins is the way to go about it. That's the way this is being booked. I think the only thing that hurts it is that Nunzio is not really, like, a big over face or anything, you know? Um, so I think they could use... They're kind of lacking right now outside of maybe... You know, I guess like Kidman and London are kind of tied up in their little feud. Uh, we don't have Ray in this mix. So really, they don't have any super face, you know, cruisers that could be in this spot. So Nunzio is good. The match is, is fine, but the heat isn't quite there for it. But still, I went two and three quarters. I dug it. Yeah. All right. What I also dig is our next match, and that is uh, <laughs> Paul London versus Billy Kidman. Um, man, I love this feud. I love this match. It goes 10 minutes. Kidman wins. And I've always been a fan. I love them as a team. And I like this feud as well, uh, where Kidman, you know, ended up turning after Summer Sam. He did a shooting star press on Chavo Guerrero, but nearly caved his face. And this is a pretty big deal at the time. A pretty infamous moment where. Uh, he just lands wrong in the rotation. His knee smashed Chavo in the face. And they they turn into a storyline. They talk about Chavo's injury. Uh, Noble confronts Kidman and basically said, like, you know, you, you you should retire the move. You basically almost killed a guy. And that led to Kidman losing faith in the move. So he would start freezing when he got to the top. Uh, they'd end up um, losing, you know, uh, 
you know, he ended up losing different matches. They ended up losing uh, the tag titles as well. So, like, all during this ends up being a real fiasco. They end up splitting uh, and feuding when they lost to Belt to Kendo and Rene Dupree. So, uh, basically, London was like, you know, dude, like, let's see it. Like, let's see Billy Kidman. And Kidman kept refusing and refusing and refusing. Uh, and what, he started walking out on matches and stuff. So, like, the feud itself is really well done. Not something you'd expect them to sink a lot of time into, but they did. And um, the finish here is awesome. Like, Kidman uh, goes to the shooting star press. He almost leaves, gets his head straight, goes for it, but then London gets his knees up. And Kidman eats, you know, eats it. And Kidman shrugs it off, goes back up top, and hits it again. And it has to be one of the most vicious shooting star presses I've ever seen. Like, he comes down so heavy on London, it looks like he <laughs> crushes him. And then they put London on a stretcher, and Kidman hits another one while he's on the stretcher. <laughs> and London's bleeding. Like, just the bloody selling of the move was so good. Um, I love this match. I think it holds up. I went three and a half. I think it's a hidden gem. I think it's one that many people aren't maybe aware of or don't think about often. But I thought the feud and the match were so, so good. And you'd come out of this thinking, like, they're finally going to get behind Kidman for, like, a major push. I mean, yeah, Kidman has put it all together. He's He's got the look. He's got a good amount of size on him. Uh, he's got <laughs> the, the great jacket. Um, you know, and this is, like, the perfect example, I think, um, how to – how to tell a nuanced story or, or how mm-hmm. to tell a, how to how to paint uh, you know a pretty complex picture but you're using broad strokes and bright colors to do so like um, nothing went over the audience's head even though this is like this has some some beats to follow that you know aren't exactly just like your basic story like got a little bit of nuance to it um, so I'm right with you I went three and a half as well uh, and I'm ready to strap up Billy Kidman. Mm-hmm. Um, I would absolutely love to see him with this added weapon. You know, the shooting star press was always his finisher, but now it's a weapon. And, and you know, if he can get a guy down, he has a shot to win the match. Um, so, you know, I would like to see, see them take this as far as it can go, you know, whether that's the U S title, um, and it gets him mixed in there with like John Cena and the likes, uh, whether it's finding a different tag team partner going after the tag titles, but, I would definitely love to see a, a clear elevation for Billy Kidman out of this. Uh, and speaking of the tag titles, that is our next contest as uh, Su- um, Kenzo Suzuki and Rene Dupree are going to retain the tag team titles. Um, did I have that right? No. Yes, I do. Uh, yes. They're going to retain yeah. the tag team titles, uh, defeating Rob Van Dam and Rey Mysterio. Uh, I think our next show, we'll talk about a little bit of business that they're going to do on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. But here, Dupree and Kenzo Suzuki are going to retain. And I went with a war score of three for this match. Um, you know, not a ton for me to write home about, but it was just really well executed. Mysterio and Van Dam are, you know, really over an established acts. Um, the crowd absolutely loves them. They've got some fun tandem offense. Uh, and Suzuki and Dupree played their roles, uh, a, a spoilers, pretty well here. So... Uh, that's why I went three with. Yeah, I went three as well. I've always liked the RVD uh, Mysterio team. I feel like it's two guys that kind of needed something to do. So why not make it, you know, why not make it a big deal? Like make them 
uh, superpower team. We talked about on Raw how we could use teams like this. And now we're kind of using singles guys that have nothing going on to restack the tag division. Suzuki and Dupree, and now uh, Ray and RVD. We saw, you know, Kim and London were more of a form team. But the SmackDown tag division definitely feels a little bit more entertaining and exciting. I was always a fan of Suzuki and Dupree as well. Didn't really care much for them as solo act, but I thought they had a fun little charisma together as a heel team. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost feels like they're not even a team at times. <laughs> they just walk out like separate almost, but it just works. Like, I, I thought Suzuki has that <laughs> kind of fun, aloof charisma. Uh, Dupree's got the little cockiness with the French tickler and the and Fifi and all that. And they work a pretty good match. RVD and Ray definitely carry things, but uh, I thought it was a fun little 10-minute affair for the tag titles. Yep. All right, let's roll on. We have Big Show defeating Kurt Angle. A 15-minute match here. This is a pretty big, uh, meaty feud they've had going on. Big Show had returned, uh, made his return in early September. He had been driven out of SmackDown in April. If you remember, he threw Angle off the uh, balcony and left him a bloody mess. That led to Angle becoming the GM. So Show made his big return uh, during a Lumberjack match between Eddie and Kurt and kind of destroyed everyone. Then we had a repeat of the old infamous Andre the Giant angle with Kemp Patera back in the day where they shoot a blow dart to knock Big Show out. And Kurt Angle shaved his head. Um, and, and Cole even kind of repeats the old Vince line. Uh, you know, he's been raped of his dignity. That was the classic Vince McMahon line when Andre had his head shaved. And you have the infamous freeze stream as well where Angle just has a crazed look on his face, sitting on Big Show, holding his limp head as he's passed out. Uh, it's also a famous one because you could just could see how many steroids Angle was on. Uh, his head is <laughs> massive and veiny. Uh, but this was like a, a needed change for Show because his hair was brutal at this point. It was super thinned out and uh, just yeah. looked terrible. So uh, shaving it was, was a good call for sure. The match itself is, I think, fine. Uh, I think there's only so much you know Angle could do with Show. Show is definitely overweight at this point he's lumbering a bit he's he's good for spots but to work a, a longer match is probably a little outside his purview at this point as his body's just kind of wearing down so in two and a quarter it was fine nothing to write home about and show ends up winning get some revenge for the haircut it hits a choke slam off the top which looked cool yeah that's why i went uh, 2.75 was just the finish doing a little something uh something special a little something extra uh just to kind of put an exclamation point on this match Agree I'm sorry, everything. I went two and a half. Two, I should call it okay. right, two, and a half, two and a half. Um, but yeah, two, 2.75 for me. Um, yeah, I just appreciate them doing a little something extra uh, to end that match. But uh, total agreeance. And then just them going 15 minutes is like, that was already pushing it for Big Show in like 1996, 1997, when he was at his athletic prime. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, 15 minutes in 2004 is a uh, bit, of, bit, bit of high hopes there. But... Uh, we're going to go to our U.S. title match uh, and the continuation. Uh, excuse me. This is the end of our mm-hmm. best of five series. Uh, it's been going on since SummerSlam. Yep. For the U.S. title uh, is John Cena regaining the United States title by defeating Booker T. Uh, they had some matches on SmackDown. They had a match uh, over. I think it was overseas at a house show. Um they had the match at SummerSlam, of course. So here we are, match number five. Um, Cena is going to survive the bookend. Uh, they're going to go into a stretch of false finishes, but eventually uh, they're going to get into a uh, Booker drop in a chair and Cena hitting an FU for the pin. Um, a weird example of, <laughs> of, of guys' chemistry getting worse as mm-hmm. the series goes on. Um, and I think that's just because Booker 
is working hurt at this time, if I remember. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even though, like, Booker definitely needs more character work by this time. Uh, and we're still going to be a little ways away from him really dialing into that character uh, to rely on as opposed to uh, his athletic gifts. Um, so, yeah, I went with a uh, two for this match. Uh, just dragged on a little bit for me. Yeah, it's long. I'm just not a fan of this series at all. We were down on the SummerSlam match. I went two and a quarter on this one. It's just, just not a ton to it. It's, uh, it felt very basic, and it feels mm-hmm. like this is seen as ascension year. I think this was in mind in their head was like going to be uh, the classic Benoit Booker type series that really elevated those guys. But like you said, I think Booker just doesn't have it quite in the ring anymore at this point. I think he's his in ring is eroded. Um, to where he's not going to be able to carry Cena. And Cena's just very basic at this point, right? He's not really expanding the repertoire yet. So he's working a very strike-based based offense. Um, so it's all this very simplified. And it doesn't add to a lot of heat to it either. So two and a quarter. I was fine to see this go. And if for something they tried to put a bunch of focus on and heat on, like one of the matches on an Australian house show. <laughs> so, like, it's just not a ton to it um, yeah. at all. So definitely disappointing. All right, up next is our uh, final match before our main event, and that is Charlie Haas, Miss Jackie, and Rico taking on Dawn Marie and the Dudley boys. And we talked about the Dudleys being gassed. Uh, that's that's here, too. <laughs> like They're fine with Spike, but like not super interested in this. Um, Rico and Jackie are kind of doing the uh, like Gorgeous George type gimmick, right? Like At least they were trying to do that. Uh, but we did uh, find out that Haas and Jackie are engaged as part of the story. But then we find out that Charlie's having an affair with Dawn Marie. So Dawn and Jackie get into a brawl and that, you know, led to this six person. It's also Rico's final pay-per-view match. Uh, he would retire the following year. Uh, actually, no, he he was released. Yeah, he was released in November and then retired the following year. Mm. Uh, I will say Dawn is like next level. <laughs> this one cannot blame Charlie, I guess, uh, for what's going on <laughs> um, at all. But the match to me was it was just there. Just two stars like there's not much going on. A lot of yeah. comedy spots, as you would expect. And I mean, the Dudley's free fall is like in full effect. I mean, Rico pins Devon with a moonsault. Like, I mean, would you have envisioned that like, even just a year earlier? <laughs> No, absolutely not. Um, this was a much lesser version of the, I believe, the Judgment Day match that we covered with Haas and Rico versus Holly and Gunn. Um, this was like a much, much lesser version of that match as far as enjoyment went. Um, so two for me, but I I do, and at least I did enjoy kind of the dynamic with Haas, Rico, and Jackie. It felt like half like Queer Eye for the straight guy, but also half like the pop culture I don't know, phenomenon with a bit of like the hot chicken or like her her gay friend. Like that's kind of what they're all trying to blend in. So they're at least trying to be topical. Um, you know, if I can at least give them that little bit of credit, but uh just two for me. And that takes us to our main event of the evening. It is for the WWE championship as JBL, our champion, is going to retain by defeating the Undertaker. And of course, this is the last ride match. It is the first ever mm-hmm. last ride match. Um, and to win, you got to put your opponent into the hearse and uh, have them be brought out of the arena. So it's basically like an ambulance match. Um, you know, two big dudes. Uh, they're throwing some bombs a little bit. Um, it delivered as a main event. But again, I didn't have a ton to write home about this match. It was just 
kind of there. Um, and just as they were starting to heat up a little bit, at least for me, Heidenreich comes out and jumps Undertaker and, you know, they get him into the hearse and Undertaker gets out and then they put him back in um, and they do a little little piece of business at the end of the show to further the Heidenreich Undertaker feud. Um, so for that, I went three. Um, I think this could have been a, a tick up more if they had given, given me like a decisive finish without Heidenreich getting involved, but understand wanting to further that feud. Yeah, 21 minutes. I mean, it's a long match, but there's some decent spots in here. I went three stars. I think it's a little bit better than the SummerSlam match. Uh, I do love in the build here, we get the classic JBL with the big halo with the cowboy hat on top. Uh, that was past SummerSlam. Heidenreich's an interesting cat, uh, very deranged, reading bizarre poems. Uh, before this show was where he had Michael Cole pinned against the wall and he was pushing up against him. Uh, pretty legendary underground, uh, underground segment there. <laughs> For no uh, reason. Creepy. Yeah. Very creepy, very creepy. Um, the build of this, too, also had a pretty fun stuff with the return of the um, ministry, where JBL brought out Gangrel and Viscera to attack yeah. Undertaker. And then Taker beat the two of them in a handicap match. The match itself, again, is fine. It's exactly what you'd expect, right? A ton of brawling, a lot of strikes. But they do have some pretty fun uh, stuff at the limo, too, where just like, you know, the choke slam in the limo and uh, all this other stuff, too. Like, so I, I thought that was pretty good. Um, and having Heidereich win for JBL is whatever. Like, it's fitting for JBL's wins. He keeps this whole reign. He keeps sneaking out wins the entire time. Um, it hasn't been a lot of dominant victories from him. So whatever. And it sets up a, yet another like crazed lunatic opponent for Taker. Plus Heyman's looking for revenge anyway for what Heyman, uh, you know, he claims that Taker you know, destroyed him, just ruined the Dudleys, like all this other stuff. So, so he's still looking to um, feud with Taker mm-hmm. overall. So, yeah, three stars. It was fine. All right, so if you net all those out, it gives us a total war score of two for match grade. So a little bit better than Unforgiven, but still nothing to write home about. Yeah. Kind of more uh, in the middle ground. So let's get to our plus minuses here, Marcus, on this show. All right. So for for build, we gave a point for the the boss spike controlling the Dudleys. That's been a great development since SummerSlam. We gave a point for Nunzio getting the non-title win to earn the title match here. A point for London and Kidman split uh, the explosion with Kidman losing his confidence. All well done. A point for the creation of Team Angle with Jindrak and Luke the Reigns. A point for the assault of Big Show and them calling back to Andre's haircut. A point to the best of five. You know, it's still time that they set it in into things it still uh, was a well-done feud even if we weren't big fans of the matches uh and a point of course for halo jbl doing the awesome heel work he's coming into the character using the ministry it's just really uh resonating lately yeah um yeah that that ministry stuff stuff was really good almost like jbl should have a uh, a group around him mm. uh, Hmm. Uh, let's get into the minuses, though. Uh, we've got Guerrero tumbling down the card. Like you said, I thought uh, Benoit was a good comp over at Raw, where they're kind mm-hmm. of leveling him off to the mid, uh, to the upper mid card to bring that up. Uh, Guerrero instead is kind of free falling uh, down the card. Uh, goofy engagement stuff with Dawn, Jackie, and Charlie, and Rico. No real feud going into our tag team title match, uh, and could have been good with a little bit more hype. All right, so that's out to a four. So pretty good build for this show, um, you know, surprisingly so. 
Yeah. Commentary. Uh, we have a point for them doing a really good job building up Luther Reigns' backstory, putting over his strengths. A point for the great insights of the in-ring strategy all night long, so two points for that. A point for uh, doing a really good job telling the Dudley story, how the boss uses his brothers to have an advantage. A point for Taz saying Dupree's poodle is Greek and then kind of gets into his love of Mediterranean food. So it's a funny (laughs) uh, random aside by him. All right. And for our minuses, we've got Michael Cole was being all time annoying. Just talking about Big Show, beating it into the ground. Big Show smiling, having fun while he's destroying Kurt Angle just over Mm -hmm. and over again, nonstop uh, over a 15 minute stretch. Uh, Cole was pretty brutal with the fake laughing. I could just imagine Vince in his ear, laugh more, uh, when Rico is kissing Bubba, and I'm with Bubba selling that as well. Cole tried very hard to sell Cena's win as some kind of monumental and historic-making moment. Um, when this is Cena's, what, second time uh, getting the U.S. title? So, um, Cole also saying that the last ride match is Undertaker's specialty, but then going right back and saying that this is the first ever last ride match. I uh, <laughs> could be a specialty if there's never been one. Um, and then Cole, once again, being stuck on this being the first ever last yes. ride match, um, which if you want to do that on TV, fine. But like you already have their money. It's a pay-per-view. It's a captive audience. So mm-hmm. you, we all get it. Like it, it is the draw for the show. So I don't think you need to hammer home that it's the first one ever so bad. Right. All right. Let's get into so that wipes out commentary flat zero yeah. there pluses and minuses. Let's get into atmosphere. We have a point for the red hot crowd during the uh, Eddie Guerrero match. Just super into him. A point for Kidman's uh, stoic entrance. His banger theme feels intense as he stalks out. Uh, a point for the big pops for RVD and Mysterio as they come out, and of course then a pop for the Undertaker entrance, which always resonates. Uh, yeah, and for the minuses, uh, while the crowd was up for big spots and some of our more solid uh, performers of the evening, there was some ups and downs and some lulls uh, throughout the card, especially in the middle, uh, which led to some quiet, uh, some real quiet stretches uh, during some pretty decent entering work. Uh, we got Kenzo singing Springsteen, uh, which, yes. <laughs> which didn't land with anybody and felt like it died a, a really long and slow death. Born in the USA. I enjoyed it. But yeah, it did not resonate. <laughs> but I'm a Kenzo fan. Like I really love the like him trying to be the American hero with the Apollo Creed and all that when he starts doing that. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. So then that's out to a two for atmosphere. Let's get to our notable moments. We gave a point for Dawn's complete savage addressing as Jackie's naked in the locker room. Dawn just goes in on her body, on her relationship with uh, Charlie, just like just brutal stuff. I mean, she really lets her have it. Like, I think it's maybe yeah. Dawn's best promo ever. Uh, I did not expect that coming at all, but she really, really uh, lays into to Jackie. And it's like, even Jackie's just even more like toward a park. She's just literally standing there naked after coming out of the shower or whatever. Um, just feels so just like, yeah, I want to say emasculating, whatever the female version of emasculating is, is what, what Jackie does. To her. <laughs> shreds her apart dewomanized her yeah just i mean uh, torn apart yeah uh a point for kidman's uh shooting star press on the strapped down london bleeding for the mouth oh yeah awesome uh a point for jbl calling out the liberal lying media which is just a perfect character trait and so <laughs> ahead of its time like it completely resonated with today 
Uh, a point for the debut of Big Show's bald head, which is the look he would have to this day. Uh, a point for John Cena winning the U.S. title, uh, you know, officially. So kind of is uh, a big moment there. A point for the first ever last ride match, like you said, Cole talked about a billion times. And a point for Heyman and Heidenreich trying to kill Undertaker. It's a pretty infamous moment in the show. JT, this is the first ever last ride match. It's a specialty. Yeah. Um, and for our uh, minuses for notable moments and importance, we've got Kenzo singing Spring Springsteen, mm-hmm. uh, which once again didn't land uh, didn't land with anybody. Uh, Rico wanting Devon's face in his junk during the was up headbutt, and then Heidenreich with the chloroform straight out of the uh, Smoky Mountain playbook. Yeah, or WrestleMania Nine playbook as well. <laughs> Uh, but a lot of good moments, kind of a sneaky, you know, moment show here. So we gave uh, ends up with a net of four. So pretty solid for sure. Yeah. Uh, we said two for match grades. Let's talk card structure. A point for the opener with uh, Guerrero getting the crowd revved up again, using him there. Not a bad choice, even if it feels like a demotion. It's still a good way to start the card. And a, a point just for the clean setup. You kind of work up through the card. There's no fluff right into the main event. Rare for a SmackDown show here during the stretch, which usually has a bunch of bullshit. Uh, this was pretty much straightforward. Just match, 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 match. Yeah, some of that fluff was missing. Um but I feel like some of that time went to show an angle, mm-hmm. uh, which really went too long for the structure yeah. of this card. Um, should have really been a quick destruction of Angle uh, before he took over instead of like this <laughs> slow methodical, um, almost, you know, wrestling for the sake of wrestling kind of match. Um, Death slot match was the only real card misstep and using the main event finish for Heidenreich and Taker. Yeah, I think the you could have given more to the RVD match. Like mm-hmm. I know it's Kenzo and Dupree, but RVD and Ray can carry that, I think. So you probably yeah. could have allotted maybe three or four minutes there instead of the other match. Yep. Uh, negative one for card structure. Rewatchability, we give a point for the shooting star press on the stretcher, and then show super choke slam off the top. Look great on angle. Uh, yep. And for the minuses, uh, do not want to go back and uh, watch the uh, Dudley homophobia and uh, the Rico stick, uh, which is really forced and played out by this point. Right. It's the typical way to expect from Bubba Ray Dudley with a of guy course. doing a gay gimmick. So right on point. Uh, all right. So one point there for rewatchability. No all time matches either way. And that brings us to a total score of 12, Marcus, Ooh. which I will say surprised me. I did not expect this uh, to finish this. Not that it's super high, but I would have thought the show would be more toward the bottom where like we're unforgiven is. Yeah, I would have thought so, too, especially how lackluster these SmackDown specific branded pay-per-views have been um mm-hmm. but you know they really figured something out the in-ring action was pretty decent uh throughout the night and i, I think it just benefited from our formula you know the, you know there's nothing wrong with this formula being around two and a half um so you know if you can stay in that ballpark um and avoid the all-time bad stuff um you know you could finish in decent shape right it's a, it's a, almost a little bit of a compiler Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, so like there's not a lot of bad, but the the positives compile up a bit. So it's like, oh, one or two here. Oh, one or two here. Oh, one or two here. So it's just slightly above average at all times. And it brings us right around, you know, that midpoint. Like I said, we've covered, uh, let's see, to date, 50 shows. So this is our, f- no, I'm sorry, 49, I think 49 shows. And this one would rank... 29th i believe or 20 okay. or 30th or right around that so 
a little below the midpoint, which again is pretty solid. Like right above it is Rebellion '99, and right below it's Hell in a Cell '11. A couple below is Bad Blood '04. So it's, I mean, right in that little mix there. Kind of shows that don't have that all-time match or all-time moments, but also, like you said, not a ton of bad. Just, just kind of exists. So, um, so that's it. Pretty solid. Do you want to uh, give a refresher of our top ten shows? Absolutely. Uh, I will get us started here with, I believe my math is right. Uh, we still have the UK Championship Tournament mm-hmm. 2018, night one at number 10 with a 21.75. And number nine, we have No Way Out 2000 at 22 and a half. NXT TakeOver Chicago 2 with a 22.5. And, of course, our tiebreaker has been determined recently. Uh, the show with the best match uh, is the one that breaks the tie uh, at this point. So, Right above that, SummerSlam 2011 with 23. Fully loaded 1999 with a 26.25. NXT TakeOver War Games 2 with 26.5. NXT TakeOver New York with a 28.25. Royal Rumble 2000 with 28.5. Coming in at number two, Money in the Bank 2011 with a 28.75. And our number one show, maybe the most giant outlier of anything, is SummerSlam 99 with 38.25. So we've talked about it quite a bit, but we'll see if anything really comes close to that or if it just ends up being this weird-ass statistical outlier. And at the top of the group is really this, like, Money in the Bank, Rumble 2000 stretch, like, that are closer to 29 than 39. Yeah, so. yeah, complete game breaker of a show was SummerSlam. <laughs> yes, made us question everything, but uh, <laughs> all right. So we're almost done with calendar year 04. Our next episode will touch on Taboo Tuesday and Survivor Series, so that'll be interesting to dive into. Um, yeah. Anything? Uh, any final comments or anything jump out at you on these two shows you want to touch on before we go? Um, I think the. I, I think just reaffirming the the fall doldrums a little bit, even though we did get a uh, surprisingly good card with no mercy. Uh, you know, it's like you said, it's in you know hovering around thirty ish. So, um, not necessarily anything to super write home about, but uh, yeah, the fall doldrums are here. Unforgiven was really rough, but uh, looking forward to hopefully digging out of that a little bit. Uh, we've got really two concept shows but you know one brand new concept show for us that we're covering for the first time with taboo tuesday mm-hmm. uh, and then following that up with survivor series 2004 which in my memory was a pretty decent show so i'm excited to go back and cover that with you for sure all right so that'll do it for us here tonight uh, it was fun breaking these down as always we'll be back in two weeks for those shows we just mentioned until then continue to live your life above replacement level and we'll talk to you soon I'd walk away like a movie star Who gets burned in a three-way script Into number two A movie queen to play the scene Of bringing all the good things out in me But for now, love, let's be real Never thought I could act this way And I've got to say that I just don't get it I don't know where we went wrong But the feeling's gone And I just can't get it back